0: okay we are moving into uh... we haven't started a new sermon series but we just ended the book of james i preached on my last sermon on the book of james last week and next week we're going to start a new sermon series and we're going to be uh... preaching i'm going to be preaching on the gospel of john Uh, we're going to be going on what probably will be a two-year odyssey on the gospel of john so that's going to be exciting uh... so encourage you to bring someone out for that But uh, I'm going to be preaching on Philippians 3 1 through 11 uh, uh, today. So this can be found on your bulletin or up on the screen. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. The word of the Lord. Well, this week I was bored. I had a tremendous amount of time on my hands and a tremendous amount of money as well. I had lots of time and lots of cash. You all deal with this as I do. So I went to uh, my favorite place when I have lots of time and money, which is eBay. eBay is fantastic. You can find all sorts of stuff on eBay. And I found some very interesting things. Do you know that you can pick up an F-18 Hornet, granted not the electronics or the bombs or the engine, but for a small 1.08 million. You know, you're tired of having these guys fly over your head. Why not have one in your backyard, right? 1.08 million. Or if you want to pick up the grave next to Marilyn Monroe, you can pay a cool $4.6 million. So you can be, mar- uh, you can be buried gazing lovingly upon Marilyn Monroe. You can buy a town. The town of Bridgefield is available. That's Bridgefield, Texas for a cool 1.77 million. Or you can buy a a missile silo if you want your own radioactive bunker for a cool 2.1 million in North Dakota. Or you could have lunch with Warren Buffett for 2.6 million. That my friends is a bargain. I'm sure you can get a tremendous amount of good advice for a paltry 2.6 million with Warren Buffett, The old adage is, what is something worth? Well, it's whatever someone will pay for it. And in eBay you discover that people put different values on different things. One person's trash is literally another person's treasure. Society puts value on things as well. Society puts value on people. And as much as we don't want to say it, we care about what, we, uh, uh, what other people think of us, how much we are worth to others. We put value on ourselves, don't we? Either through tangible things, the possessions that we have, our bank account, the things that we can see around, we value ourselves by it, or by intangible things like reputation or fame or achievement. In fact, much of our life is working on making this goal accruing value so we will feel important and valuable. But I want to suggest to you that the most important valuation in the world is not what the world thinks of us, or even what we think of ourselves, but rather, how does God value us? For many of us, it's through religion, a system of do's and don'ts, of being good and not being evil. What you do is who you are. I find this often when I'm a pastor at parties. I try to tell people as uh, rarely as possible what I do for a living. Because often what will happen is after talking with them for a while and them sometimes using colorful language, they ask me, what do I do for a living? And I say, I'm a pastor. And they immediately put their hand to their mouth and start apologizing profusely for the words that they always use. Why is that? It's because I play the role of God for some reason. And they know they value themselves based on their goodness or their religion in God's eyes. But what I want to suggest to you in this passage, Paul is saying to stop doing that. That God has a new value system, a way that He values us that is quite different from the way that we think that He values us. You see, who we are is not based on other people's opinions. It's not based on the things that you own. It's not even based on your religious achievements. Who you are, who you truly are, is based on grace. It's based on the gospel. It's based on the works of another. That's why it's called good news and not good advice. It's based on what someone else has done, Jesus Christ. Imagine if we lived by this value system, not by earthly things, not by the opinions of others or our possessions, but by this value system being valued by the one who is above, who sees us through the eyes of grace. We would stop having to live and jump through hoops continuously trying to earn the favor of others and earn the favor of God. Scandalous, you say, that our value might be based on the actions of another? Some people are not buying it, then or now. And so that's what this is all about. These people that are saying that your value is not based on the gospel, but rather based on your religious accomplishments. What is the key word that we have to bring to mind as we think about these things? The key word is count. We have to be accountants, if you will. We have to count on heavenly things and the accomplishments of another rather than on earthly things and our own accomplishments. We have to decide what we will value. The work of Jesus Christ and His valuation or the work of ourselves and our valuation. You see you have to lose your religion to gain Jesus Christ because it's in the loss of everything that we gain the greatest thing. So how do we do that? How do we give up everything to get hold of Jesus Christ? We have to do three things. Number one, we have to give up on religion. Number two, we have to give up on our accomplishments. And finally, number three, we have to give up on ourselves. So let's do that because it's in the loss of everything that we gain the greatest thing. First, we have to give up on religion. Paul says in verse one, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Notice he's saying to rejoice not in ourselves, not in our accomplishments, but rather to rejoice in the Lord. To write these same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul gives a warning, and he's warning people to look out for who we call the Judaizers. Who were the Judaizers? If you remember, the first people to come to Christ were Jewish people. And Jewish people had gotten used to living by a system of do's and don'ts, the Mosaic law by which they were shown to be uh, approved before God. And Christ came along and through his actions on the cross and through his words showed that, that their worth and their value was based on nothing else but grace through faith. And these Judaizers said, no, 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 that can't be. It's got to be you, Jesus, and our works and our religious works. So when these Gentiles here in Philippi became Christians, these Judaizers came along and they said, no, 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 we want to explain to you the true way of Christianity. It's Jesus Christ and your religious observances. You need to become Jews also. And so Paul says, look out, watch out for these dogs, he's calling the Judaizers. It's very interesting because the Gentiles, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. But Paul is saying, no, these Judaizers, these Jewish Christians who are saying this, they are the ones who are dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Now, these people weren't advocating to do evil things. They were saying, you need to obey the Mosaic laws and the Mosaic customs. But by saying that, by saying that Jesus Christ wasn't enough, it was actually evil, what they were communicating. Because the gospel is all about faith, through grace alone, through faith alone. We all know that beautiful passage, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So Paul is saying, watch out for these dogs, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh. What is he talking about there? See, they were saying that it's not enough that you are a Christian. You also have to be circumcised males in order uh, to be justified before God because that was the right, if you will, remember that God gave to Israel back uh, in the time of Abraham, that they needed to be circumcised. And Paul is calling them mutilators of the flesh. Paul said that there's a new circumcision that occurs when one becomes a Christian. It's an inward circumcision. You no longer need this outward circumcision. He goes on in verse 3 to say, For we, meaning Christians, are the circumcision. Everyone, if you are a believer, has been circumcised in your heart. In other words, God has put his stamp, he's put his life, he's put his spirit into you and justified you through his blood. Romans 2.29 put it this way, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter of the law. This is hearkening back to when God prophesied in Ezekiel 36.26 when he said, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Paul is saying we are the circumcision, and we worship by the Spirit of God. We no longer have to observe these elaborate rituals that were put down in the Mosaic law in order to be justified by God, because the Spirit is within us. Remember Jesus who said, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, and in truth. He says, watch out for all of these people, for we are the circumcision, and we put no confidence in the flesh. What is he talking about, confidence in the flesh? He's not talking about skin and bone and muscle. He's talking about the works that we do, the works of righteousness this religious treadmill of constantly having to do right things in order to be approved before God, putting no confidence in the flesh, but rather putting all of our confidence in Jesus Christ. See, we're not saved by the teaching of the founder, Jesus Christ. We're saved by the founder himself, by the work that he did. He didn't tell us what to do. He did it himself on the cross dying the death in our place and rising from the grave that's why the gospel is good news and not good advice and so what Paul is saying is watch out for these evil people who continue to say you need to get on the religious treadmill you need to get off the religious treadmill is what he's saying I saw this article, this was from several years ago. I don't know if you remember Anne Rice, the famous writer who wrote all the vampire novels. Uh, Anne Rice uh, wrote a Facebook post in 2010 actually where she said, today I quit being a Christian. And with these last uh, wor- with these words on Facebook, Anne Rice delivered a wake up call for organized religion. The question is whether it will be recognized as such. Rice said, I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being a Christian or being part of Christianity. It is simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. For 10 years, I've tried. I've failed. I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. She is not the only one. It continues. there was a study done by Trinity College in which 54,000 adults were surveyed and they found that those claiming themselves Christians has fallen by 10% uh, in the last 20 years while those who claim no religious affiliation has almost doubled in the same span. Organized religion, Christianity in particular, is on the decline and it has no one to blame but itself. I think what Anne is really talking about is she was tired of going to places that advocated constantly living by a religious system, constantly measuring your worth by how good you were that week or how bad you were that week, and being surrounded by a group of people that were focused on that and not changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, there was no heart change, and when there's no heart change, there's no life change. See, what this is all about is that we have to give up on religion. Maybe you're here for religious purposes. Maybe you're punching the clock, if you will, that it's time to come and do my religious service, if you will, to come to church to put my money in the plate, to volunteer in the various ministries. And I'm counting on a ledger somewhere where all of these good things are being written. So at the end of my life, there will be enough coins, if you will, in the bank for God to receive me. But that isn't Christianity. That's heresy. So we have to get rid of religion in order to embrace Christ because Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a man. The God-man, Jesus Christ, who we put our hopes in, who we choose to follow, who we choose to trust in. So what's your system of things? What are you counting on to make yourself worthy before God? Watch out is the warning that Paul gives us because you have to get rid Of your religion. Well, if we have to get rid of our religion, we also have to get rid of our accomplishments. Paul goes on in this passage to talk about all of his religious achievements. In verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in my flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in his flesh, in other words, in his actions and accomplishments, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. See, Paul was not of mixed blood. He was a pure Israelite through and through. Of the tribe of Benjamin. He was saying, I was, I'm of the favored tribe of the 12 tribes. The two favorite sons of Israel, of Jacob, were Benjamin and Joseph, who were born to Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. Israel's first king came from the Benjamites, His name was Saul. And when Absalom rebelled against David, there was only one tribe that stuck with David, and that was the Benjamites. Paul is saying, I'm from them. I'm a religious blue blood. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. In other words, I've achieved the highest level of religiousness and accomplishment. I've studied under the high priest Gamaliel. As to zeal... I'm a persecutor. I was a persecutor of the church. See, Paul was going from place to place and actually arresting Christians as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's saying, I've I've accomplished everything that that our system, uh, that our nation holds dear. But then he goes on and says, but whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. There's that word, counted. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. See, Paul pulled out the ledger and he said all of these accomplishments that I have, when I compare them to knowing Christ and to being found in Christ and being valued by Christ's uh, system... I count everything as loss. It's surpassingly great to find my righteousness in Jesus Christ and to know Him personally. Paul continues, For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He has suffered the loss of all things. He's crossed over the line at some point. Paul took all of these, this mound of accomplishment and pushed it aside and counted as loss. In fact, this word, count them as rubbish, the word rubbish is skubala. It's only used once in the New Testament and it is what comes out of the back end of a horse. That's what Paul is saying. I count all of these things as skubala, as rubbish. Now they aren't rubbish in themselves. But they're rubbish compared to gaining Christ. And notice Paul says, I have to do this. I have to do this in order to gain Christ. I can't have both of them. I have to let go of one in order to gain the other. I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, what Paul wants is to be found in Jesus Christ. That his identity, his worth, would be not from this pile of accomplishments in his life, but rather from Jesus. From receiving a new righteousness, Not trusting in his own record, but trusting in that of Jesus Christ. See, I think there's this treadmill that we live in life. It's what I call the four S's. Starts out with what I call survival. Survival, maybe you get married, you start a job, and you're just trying to survive, if you will. Trying to find a way to do this thing called life. But at some point you move from survival to stability, where you're starting to get your feet under you. You have a job, you have some friends, you start to get some standing in the community, start to feel good about yourself, that I have stability in this life. Then you move from stability to success. Success is where you start to achieve some notoriety in your job, in the community with your family, but you're still running on that religious treadmill. And at some point, you maybe get that corner office, and you maybe start taking those trips, and you start to realize that it's all hollow, that it can't fill my very soul. And so you move to the final S, which is significance. You start giving back into the world. You start volunteering your time. You start giving your money away. But you find, even then, that it's strangely hollow. Because the reality is that you will never make it to a place where you feel like you have done enough. See, if you trust in your accomplishments, if you build your castle on this earth, If you play the monopoly game, what you're really trying to do is please God through your accomplishments and work your path to Him and you'll never get there. So whether you're that young person who's taking on the world or you're that older person who's in that phase of significance in your life, you have to count your accomplishments as nothing. You have to in order to gain Christ. But when you do, you discover a new righteousness. That I'm somebody to God. Not because of all of the things that I've achieved. But because of the righteous life of Jesus Christ who achieved them for me. Who died the death that I should have died. In order that I might receive the justification that he received. And when that happens, you discover the thing that you've been looking for all of your life, which is peace. You discover peace with God, not unease about the future, because you have a treasure, and that treasure truly now is in heaven. See, it's in the loss of everything, that we gain the greatest thing. Paul did it. We must do it too. We have to give up on religion. We have to give up on our accomplishments. Finally, we have to give up on our life. Paul says, I give up all of these things that I may know Him, verse 10, and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings Becoming like him in his death. That I, by any means possible, may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, when we give up on ourselves and we give up on our lives, we get to know him. John 17:3 put it this way. Now this is eternal life. That you may know the one true God. And Jesus Christ... who He he has sent. The deepest desire of our heart is to know Him. And to know Him how? In the power of His resurrection. See, there's a manner in which we get to know Jesus Christ. And it's in the power of His resurrection. We worship and know a living Savior. Jesus Christ is alive. If you go to the tomb of Jesus Christ, He's not there because He is alive. And He desires to come and take up residence in your heart. The greatest wonder of life is that you can know the One who has such power that the wind and the waves obey Him. You can know the One who has such love that he gave up his life for you and for me. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the sharing in his sufferings. What does that mean? It means as I know him, that inside I'm crucifying all things to him on a daily basis, less of me and more of him. A process by which I die to myself and live to him where he becomes greater and greater and greater in my life. As outside, I also experience some of the same persecutions that Christ experienced, that I know him in that way as well, becoming like him in his death. This is a present passive participle in the Greek. It means that slowly as I get to know him, I am being transformed. Not just reformed, but transformed into his likeness, becoming like him as he becomes more and more in my life. See, death did not have its hold on Jesus Christ. It could not hold him. And neither will it hold the Christian because Christ is the one who brings us back from death. That we, though we may go to death, will not go to death as much as to go through death to Jesus Christ so that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is from death to life. This isn't just a better way to live. It's life itself that Jesus promises because Jesus is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. So what is it that you're holding on to and is it Enough in comparison to the incomparable worth of Jesus Christ. In high school and in college, I dated some girls, and then I found my wife. I found Lee Ellen. But you see, to gain her, I needed to lose them. I couldn't have both of them, could I? No, it's one or the other. And as I looked at the choice there really was no choice. It was incomparably great compared to everyone else. And so I made my choice that I might gain her. I lost them. See if you're here for religion I don't have anything for you. I'm sorry. But if you're here for Jesus Christ If you're here for one who's worth all of your life, all of your ambition, the one that you're searching for and will continue to search for until you find him, he is here and available to you that you might know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And eat with him and him with me. See, it's in the loss of everything that we gain the greatest thing. So give up on religion, give up on accomplishments, give up on yourself, that you might gain the one you're looking for. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you are the one that we're looking for. You are the w- one that's worth all of our accomplishments, all of our treasure, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our ambitions. Forgive us for chasing after such foolish things compared to you. God, we want to know you in the power of your resurrection, in sharing in your sufferings, becoming like you in, uh, in your death. God, give us the courage and give us the vision and the wisdom to reach out for you and to let go of all these other things. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now we enter into a time of the service where we do our offering. Uh, Because of COVID, uh, we do not pass a plate, uh, but we have an offering plate uh, that is in the foyer. If you wish to give to uh, the church, you may do so uh, after the service on the way out. Uh, If you're new to Redeemer, don't feel compelled to give in any way, but rather... As the Spirit directs you, we're just glad you're here. Let me pray for the offering. God, we pray that you would use this offering and uh, you would use it to strengthen your church, uh, that the gospel might go forth, that your people might be built up, uh, that this message might be proclaimed to the entire world. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now we enter into our time of worship through communion. It's in the picture of communion that we see the great worth that God uh, puts on us, that he gave his very life, uh, that we might find life in him. Uh, The communion table is for believers. If you are a Christian, if you've been baptized in his church, if you want to communicate to Christ, I let go of everything else that I might have you. Communion is a way that you respond, if you will, to the message that you heard, that you communicate to him. And in a way that we don't understand, he he gives of himself. Uh, to you and strengthens you through his Holy Spirit as you continue on this journey of clinging fast to him. So if that's your heart's desire, this communion table is for you. The way we take communion is you'll come forth and you'll take of the elements, the wine and the bread, uh, which is all in one unit, and you'll take them back to your seat. And then we will take them in unison. Now let me consecrate these elements for the Lord's service. Hear these words from the scriptures. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup and said, take and drink. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And so we remember and keep the feast. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The gifts of God for the people of God. Let's have the worship team come forward first and take up the elements and then you can come forward as the spirit directs. Come, come to the table. Here I am to worship. Here I am to worship. The body of Christ, take and eat, and the blood of Christ, take and drink, amen, amen. Because of time constraints, we're not going to sing our final song, but let's go ahead and stand for the benediction, and let's go ahead and let's, afterwards, I want to clear out so that Lynn Haven Prez can start getting ready for their uh, service. May the love of the Father, the salvation of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit be upon you, Redeemer Presbyterian, today, this week, and forevermore. Amen. The service is ended. Let's go ahead and clear out to the fellowship hall so Lynn Haven can get ready. Thanks so much.